Hey everybody, this is the Progcast. I'm your faithful host, Greg Bendian, and uh, I'm just so pleased today to be joined by one of one of my really dear friends in in the music, in the world of progressive music. We, we have uh, we have performed together. In fact, we have performed the music of Frank Zappa together, which many of my listeners will know this gentleman from. He has been a uh, stalwart member of Frank's ensembles starting back in, I guess, in late 70s, early 80s. And he reprises that role today in the Zappa Band. He's a guitarist. He's a singer. He's one of my favorite people. Please welcome Mr. Ray White. Hello, Good Ray. Hey, Ray, come on in. What's up, man? <laughs> How are you doing? I'm doing good. Good to see you, buddy. Hey, man, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm glad to be seen. As they say, at a certain age, I, you can see me. I'm still here. Good. You know, so everything's fine, man. We have a good time. Ray, I, I've been looking forward to talking with you like this one on one because I don't think that enough people know about what an interesting background you have in the music and and how you came up. And, and I'd love to hear about some of your earliest musical memories, some of your earliest musical uh, occurrences. Okay. Well, number one, uh, I, I was born in Michigan on a farm. And uh, really early on, we went back to Arkansas where most of my family were born. And my mother always had a piano in the house somewhere. So there's a piano on the porch. I'm like three years old. I go out, I'm reaching above up here to the keyboard. And I found this riff. You know, you find something repetitive and it satisfies a three-year-old mind, you know? Problem is, there's a voodoo song called The Devil's Dance. <laughs> My mother screams, who's playing that music? Runs out, snatches me off the piano. I'm happy. There was no devil involved. It was just these chords and these, how, how big a chord three-year-old hands, you know? Just find a little thing and just doing it, two fingers, whatever. And um, so we moved back to Michigan. My brother, Frank, played guitar. My brother, and, and piano, my brother, Chuck, the oldest brothers, they played guitar and piano. They had a band. They used to rehearse on the Sun Porch in Michigan. And they would never let me touch the guitars. It's forbidden. It was like the zone of death. But on the back, on the cellar steps, you know, in Michigan, they have those cellars where you keep all your canned goods and stuff. On the steps, there was a, a guitar neck. So I'd sit on those steps and imagine playing this guitar, you know? And when I turned, fast forward, I moved. We moved from Michigan to Illinois, and my I met my second cousin. Well, he, his father married my mother. This kid could play the flight of the bumblebee in like seventh grade. He could run the hundred yard dash in like <laughs> in flat. It was like all this talent he had, and he quit school. But you know, it was like, what are you doing? But I played trombone and. Baritone horn. I played all these instruments in school, but I always wanted a guitar. So one day we were standing on the corner. His name is Ray too, Ray Stapleton. We're standing on the corner, and he's like, "Man, wouldn't it be cool if your my, my uncle married your mother?" And I'm like, "Yeah, it'd be cool." It happened. And I'm like, "Yeah, I get a guitar." My 15th birthday, my brother Charles had just bought his first rig, his own personal rig. He always borrowed other people's, and. He came upstairs and gave me this guitar and amp on my 15th birthday. I didn't come downstairs for an hour. I cried. It was, you know, those gifts that just goes, bam, this is it. So I went downstairs, plugged it in, and started playing this song called Mighty Low. I'd never played a guitar in my life. Do, 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 do. Leon, do, do, do. My mother comes in, what are you doing? This goes with that. This goes with that. And it's satisfying. I'm gonna play this all day and all night long. So that's where it started, man. Wow, really? You just picked it up and you just felt yeah. natural. Yeah, I played piano by ear. All of us played piano by ear. So we could be like three or four of us on a bench playing different parts of a song. And so music was always there. And I could see it. And but all these years, be true, I'm gonna be truthful. All these years, I've been sort of schlocking guitar. I just thought I want to sing and play rhythm guitar and stuff. Until two months ago, when this thing came, this tuning came, and I was sitting, I'm playing everything I can imagine. You know, it's like, 
Like you say, the best for last. Thank you. And wasn't like Robert Johnson at the crossroads meeting the devil. It was me at the crossroads meeting God, because I'm telling you, nothing good comes from the devil. You know what I'm saying? If you're in the, you know, um, into your, your Bible or religion, my dad was a bishop. That's where it comes from. And you know where all good things come from a certain source. All good things, if you pray on a certain source, if you have friends and you wish them the best on the positive note, those things happen. They're taken positively. I mean, what am I gonna, what am I gonna do? I'm gonna wish he goes to prison for 30 years. Well, no, that might not be the kind of blessing you wanna to send to your friends. Well, let me ask you this. When did you start gigging? Um, okay, I got my guitar when I was 15. Six weeks later, a guy came by the house, our house, looking for my brother, Charles. Charles had gone to California from Illinois. He goes, do you play? My mother goes, yes. Has my suit, gives me the suit, my guitar, and pushes me out the door. And I was going to Kankakee, Illinois. My first gig, I was 15. 15 and six weeks, you know? I'm playing a gig in Kankakee. I knew three changes. <laughs> so, you know, playing Big Bill Brunzi Key to the Highway and all this stuff, it was scary, but it was cool. My mom was just going, he plays, bam, I was gone. Wow, so was your mom musical? My mom could, you know, remember back in like the 20s and 30s, they had these people that could really whistle like, like birds and whistle songs, stuff like that. She could do that. My grandmother could play spoons. And they had this, this it, where they came from, when, when they grew up, I'm sorry, in Arkansas, poor white people, poor black people didn't have radios. There may be one mate radio in the community. Everybody would gather around that house, you know? So also people would bring instruments, you know, washed up uh, basses, you know, and, and whatever they had, and they'd play. There was no black or white. It was in the night. You can imagine the night, no trucks and cars rolling by. This is space where God that God gave us filled it with music. Everybody playing everybody else's music. And that was the coolest thing. My brother, we have a real quick story. Behind our house in Illinois, Aurora, Illinois, anyway, uh, there was this Guys, that these guys that moved in from Tennessee or somewhere down south, they were like serious redneck guys. You know, I damn you soon. <laughs> and so I found what I found out what a redneck was, and it had nothing to do with color. Mm. It had to do with the bandanas they wore around their neck when they were fighting off the goons in the coal mines. And they're black, white, Chinese. They had pictures of all of this. Anyway, this guy had the he had this thing against our dog, and we had, and my brother had this thing against his dog. And my brother was on the back porch one day. And he had a little pedal steel and he's playing. His head pops over the fence. Hey, you know that? He grabs his guitar, runs around the fence. Isn't music beautiful? Like Frank said, music is the best. Brought them together right there. All the rest of that stuff just disappeared. They were sitting there playing everything from Muddy Waters to Hank Snow. That's incredible. Yeah. That's that's where that's where I came. I've learned fingerstyle stuff watching Chet Atkins, because I figured any cat that could play three songs at once, <laughs> I had to do this. And plus, uh, a pick felt, uh, pla felt um, not plastic, it is plastic, but it felt unnatural. You know, Bolasete, watching Bolasete, and that later on, you'll beam, that's my grandma, that whole, you know, I want to feel the instrument, hear the wood. But that's where I got all this stuff from, man. My brother, brother Chuck, I have to give it to him. He just opened that door. You know, that's great. Great brother. So I guess uh, I don't understand then how it is that you end up in Frank Zappa's field of vision. Okay. I'm playing in a band in San Francisco. Okay. And we were, they had a house in San Rafael. You, you know, that says across past Sausalito. And from this house, you could see San Francisco. And it was like the Emerald City. So we're playing this band. I find out that the guy backing this band is, I'm looking all over, is a pimp. And I'm like, uh, this, this, you know, uncomfortable. You know what I'm saying? It's like, that's serious usury, man. I mean, that's like, come on, peddling flesh? Come on, that's not anywhere near what my, my spirit wants to be around. So I'm getting ready to leave this place. I'm like, it was a group called Willie Wild and the Wild Bunch. 
couple of these guys were from the, the uh, Larry Graham, uh, Graham Sixer Station Band. We all knew them. We've known each other for years. But it became this pimp deal. Phone rings at the house. It's Lady Bianca. Have you ever heard of her? Yes. Boy, big, she's got a voice like the play piano. So she goes, can you talk? And I went, I'm back on the phone. I'm just like, no, this is a room, <laughs> room full of guys. That, you know what I'm saying? Oh, no, I'm not going to go. Yeah, there's thugs around me. I'm not saying that. That's not the ticket out of here. So I said, yeah, I can. I said, yes. No, she says, can you talk? I said, no. And I was singing a song called Survival by the OJs. And one of the lines is, my little girl needs a new pair of shoes. She says, on the cryptic side, I hear your little girl needs a new pair of shoes. I said, yep. Can you be at the airport at 4.30? Yep. Got your guitar? Yep. <laughs> I was gone to the airport. Now, a week before this, this is a really funny part of this story. A friend of my wife's old friend from childhood invites me to his house. He lives in the projects in San Francisco. His dad's the head of the EOC. He's a rich black kid, but he wanted to move into the projects to get the field. Dude. Nobody wants to get the feel. <laughs> anyway, he goes, I go to his house. Herbie Luster, for the record, go to his house. He puts on moving to Montana. And I said, this is the craziest white man on earth. <laughs> Next week, I'm flying to LA. I'm at the Chateau Marmont. Marmont and uh, Bianca comes by and goes, she's going to tell you all this stuff. I said, okay, whatever. I show up. I walk in. I'm wearing clogs. White linen pants, a dashiki, and an afro. <laughs> it was just, you know, Frank said when he saw me, he went, oh, shit. <laughs> the Black Panthers are trying out for the band. <laughs> so I go on to rehearsal, and he's, now I don't know this yet, so I don't know his depth of his whole thing. So I'm just natural. He says, play this line. Dun, 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 dun. And I'm like, what is this music? And he says, he's sitting on a stool with a cigarette, legs crossed. He goes, watch, look at my fingers. I looked at him, I was like, dude, I want to see your fingers. Exact words. I said, man, I don't want to see your fingers. I turned my back on him. I said, play it. He plays it. I play it. Now his manager goes, dude, <laughs> I'm on the floor. And you turn around like, I didn't know. All these other guys are waiting to audition from Berkeley and all this stuff. You know? So he goes, can you sing? And I went, a little bit. Gives me tiny lights. He showed me the song. Bam, hit the song. As soon as I'm done with the song, the manager walks over, walks me across the floor. Okay, here's the pay. Blah, 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 blah. These guys are still trying out behind me. They're still auditioning. It's already over. I'm like, okay. So we started a conversation after that. Nappy showed up. I didn't know who he was. But Frank and I were talking. Frank goes, you remember this, this song in 1958 by the Cadillacs called this? And I went, back a year. How about the Five Satins? Back another year. This band, back a year. Back a year. So finally, I went, 1951, ting the Clovers. He goes, how the fuck old are you? So, <laughs> I was only 32. But my brothers used to order these records, 78s. Remember this name. This name is really important in Black music history. Randy's Record Shop in Gallatin, Tennessee. The first white guy to play any Black music on the air. And he, if they, all Black people would buy their records from him. Boxes of 70s would come in. I remember Ruth Brown. I remember the sax solos, everything. They just come back to me, you know? And, and it should be said that Frank was one of the big doo-wop collectors in the world and an aficionado. We went to his house that night. We went to his house that night. He walked, I walk in, walk upstairs. He got this row after row of conks, processes. I knew I was home. Dude, if you know this, then you know you know the real deal. You know what I'm saying? He, he told me that he he had, had got this record and the bass, the singer, the singing, the singing bass sang this 13 over one lick. So he told the mothers, this guy just sang 13 of one. They're like, excuse me, man. He goes, they don't play that music. Well, count it. 
13 over one, just it was, you know, he gave me, he gave me that 45. John Smothers immediately steals it. <laughs> Wait, not just steals it, steals it openly. Boy, I'm really? gonna take oh, boy, I'm gonna take this with me. Give us the smothers, whatever. But that was my first, you know, inkling of what was happening, man. I I I went back to San Francisco and guys would say, who, who are you playing with? I went, oh, well, this guy named Frank Zappa. And they would just go, oh my, what in the world? Okay, who are you playing with? Frank Zappa. People were like, it was like they go into like, <laughs> who is this dude? You know, but let me get this straight. This is through Bianca? Lady Bianca, Lady Bianca. Okay, here's I played in Lady Bianca's band in San Francisco a couple of times. And she was married to this guy at this time that was, I don't want to get, he could have changed his life. But then he was like, one of those guys that were, you know, she'd get on the, ready to have a record deal and he'd do something like beat her up or something, you know? So I, as a, as a man, I didn't like this dude at all. I, I just wanted just, I'm not a violent man, but at one point he just wanted to, I'm going to a baseball bat. I, I just beat his feet off. <laughs> they made me mad because of his abusive behavior, you know? And uh, when she got in the band, he jumped on the crew bus. That's, you know, so she was a deer. And she went to school with my wife. So, really? Yeah, went to high school. And they were good friends. And she, I loved her. She's a good woman, great woman. And... When she called me, I was surprised and got the gig, and it was a blessing. I thank her to this day. How hard was it for you to integrate into Frank's musical world with all the different styles and all the different levels of difficulty? Well, I didn't know it, so I, if I didn't know it, he had one thing he would say. Sometimes I'd hold back if I didn't understand the chord structure. And he would go, play it. Whatever you think it is, play it loud, so then I can correct it. But if you hold back, you're not, it's not the uh, the whole arrangement falls apart, or it's a little weak in that spot, you know. So he believed in a strong wrong. Say it like you meant it. <laughs> you know what I'm saying, and it was it was true. You know, sometimes I mean, one time in particular, we're doing Tiny Lights, and that riff just said escape me. I went. <laughs> he played it. He's looking at me with glaring eyes, and like, hey, dude, I don't know this, but it worked out in the end. 70, I was there 76, 77, the spring, spring of 77. And then he changed the band. And in 1980, I was doing a, an album with, with uh, you know, the Hawkins family, Old Happy Day, all that? Okay, those are my wife's people. She grew up with them. And her mother managed Edwin Hawkins, Old Happy Day. And so, um, anyway, so oh, I was doing an album with them. And they had Tower of Power playing horns on it. It's going to be a live concert. Maurice White and Philip Bailey from Earth, Wind, and Fire were there to sing on it, too. And when they did the, the invocation, there's a, it was at the Berkeley Community Theater. And the whole audience was singing in perfect harmonies. And Doc from the, from the Tower of Power goes, oh, I think we can take this on the road. I've never heard 400 people singing in perfect harmony. But it went off great. But Frank called me and I said, I'm doing this, this thing. You know, I, I can't. He goes, can you get me out for one day? I can't because I got from here to there. I gave him this little schedule, how things were working. And I said, I'm, you know, I really want to do the gig. You know what I'm saying? But I can't, I can't just square up on these guys, you know? So he goes, how about Saturday? I'm like, wait a minute, something's up. Saturday was open. Okay, so I flew down and there's Vinny Caliudo, Ike, you know, that that crew. And I came in and they were like, they had clicked. They were like a click. And I came in there like eyeballing me. And I'm like, I don't care. I, I, I'm married. I got a couple of kids. I don't care what you say. You, you, you're kids to me. I kissed my entire foot. <laughs> okay. <laughs> anyway, but they were good guys. But it's just, you know how guys, how band things are. You've been together. Another thing comes in. Like, man, man. But Frank goes, he sits on the couch and goes, Ray, tiny light. <laughs> so I went, bam. And then I was taken aside by somebody who told me they wanted me to help with a certain individual. And um, it was one of those 
you know, um, I don't want to be not too openly cruel here, but it's one of those situations where somebody was losing control of their their um, responsibilities to the ensemble. You know what I'm saying? So you want everybody to be solid in that. So any threat to the ensembles, that's, that brings the whole thing down. You know what I'm saying? So I had that conversation. And then John Smothers invites me and these other people down to his room so he can talk. And he's talking in this oblique language. John's a big mason. He had his big tattoo of the Masonic thing on his chest. And so I'm a master mason too. So I stepped to him and we talked. But it was a thing of honor and how you appear in public and how you appear to people. You know what I'm saying? When you go to a restaurant, you can't be sitting in a restaurant, a really nice restaurant, screaming loud. And it's like, like some hillbillies and some some country guys, black country black guys throwing chitlins at each other across the bar. You, know, you can't, you gotta pull back, know where you're at, act accordingly. Just some decorum, you know, and that's what it's all about. Just relax. You're already there. Relax. Enjoy where you're at and don't try to take over anything. Some guys like usually have more songs. My point of view is if you give me one song, I'm gonna kill it. My mother said, take a bushel basket. She had to take a candle. Then you take a bushel basket and sit it over a candle. What happens? The bushel basket catches on fire. Now you got 10 times the fire. So you do that one thing really well for the group, not for you. You know, if I start playing and standing up there like this, like it's my band, that's disrespectful. That's uncool. You well, I had the great pleasure, though, of, of seeing you featured on Cruise to the Edge on the Frank Zappa composition, The Evil Prince. Oh, I love it. That was fun. That is some piece of music, Ray, isn't it? It is, and I didn't know that I was going to be on, that he had put me on that album, because Nappy had done it. And I was doing with a character, Sister Jane, Sister Jane, what's it? Sister Jane Calhoun. Sister on, on Thinkfish, right? Algonquin. Huh? On, on Thinkfish. Yeah, because that's where Evil Prince first appeared. And then I went back down, and he goes, um, Joe goes, yeah, you know you did uh, the evil prince on no i didn't yes, yes you did. I said, no i didn't yes, yes you did no i didn't i sang it but i didn't know it's gonna be you know put on the album he told me that nappy was gonna do it so it's one of those things you take whatever you're given do that i'm not looking for more i'm not looking in your pocket how much money you got if you say i get this that's what it is that's the deal now next time around we may negotiate but i'm not greedy being greedy and stupid and arrogant especially the arrogance i that's one thing I don't like in music is certain guys get to a point, to the pinnacle, and they become arrogant. So you get a 15-year-old kid who asks for an autograph, and they get almost cussed out. When yesterday you were 15 in the garage, friend, dude, remember, that's you walking over there. Cut the, cut the crap, you know? Well, you always have been a great ambassador for Frank's music. You're so approachable. You're such a, a nice down-to-earth guy. Your, your knowledge of music, your ears are it's just so open wide. And, and that's, that's something that I really like about you, Ray, because I know that you came up with essentially was the music of the, the entertainment industry, right? I mean, you, you were doing that, and then you went to this sort of art music world with frank and you're you're cool in either setting you know you're fine and and i like that because you're it's it's frank using the band for yeah. everyone's strength yeah and that you weren't you weren't have to come in and sight read you didn't have to come but he wants your sound he wants your 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 voice he wants your musicality it's one, one funny thing about not funny thing but uh strange thing that i saw and the realization hit me of what I had ear-wise. Guys would come in that had gone to school, working all that stuff, and they, they could read anything. Frank called them Nat, G-N-A-T, Nat notes. You could spray a million Nats on the wall, and they could play it. But he would go, okay, put the page down. Four bar blue, two, and E, three, four. They've lost. They couldn't, they couldn't play a blues anymore. I went, you mean to tell me you got so far on the page, you forgot real music? You forgot to, to jam with your friends? You can't jam anymore? You can't, you can't feel, you know, this, it was unusual for me. It was like, 
wow, that's a lofty, you got a lofty idea of what it is. You know what I'm saying? Because the guys that really throw it down, they may know it, but when they get ready to groove, it's not about the one over the five, the six, and the seventh, the diminished nine over the third. Do you hear it? Play it, you know? Ray, what did you think of, of Frank as a guitarist? I loved him. Unusual. I asked him what his influences were. And I'm not going to tell you right here. When we get private, I'll tell you. <laughs> uh, he gave me a tape. I got that tape. In fact, the, the Zappa organization want this tape, but I'm not giving it up because I asked him what his influences were, and he gave me this tape. And I went, and I saw it. I was like, well, doggone it. It's, it's, you'll, you'll dig it. You see, when you, I'm going to tell you what's really, man. It is the coolest thing ever. <clears throat> so fact, he, had, print. he had unusual influences for the guitar? Yeah. Yeah. And and you hear it when he plays. And then I was like, oh. So when I found this tuning uh, uh, last month, or this was, I was like, oh, my. And it's so obvious where this thing came from. If you looked at a piano, you would know and go, why did I think of that? Because it's so fluid. It doesn't miss anything. But when he played, it was the same thing. I was like, I could hear him playing. I could watch him playing. He taught me this pick uh, um, picking technique. And so one day I woke up and said, yeah, thanks for that picking technique. He goes, what? I said, you know the way you showed me what? I showed you what? I'm going, you remember? You? And he's going like, what? I, I don't know, dude. It's too late. You already showed that to me, man. So, you know. But did he, he have unusual technique? Yeah, it was it was it was it was really strange. He held the pick, put it close, and get around. And the pick would make this circling motion. It was like that. And then he would put it up on the neck so the, the guitar, the pick wouldn't have to go through the strings right on the board of the neck, and he could play right there too. He could play up here or here. Sound changes when you approach the, the fretboard itself. So when you play on top of the fretboard with a pick. Dude, it changes everything. And his left hand was just magical. You know? Oh, tell me about his left hand. Well, his, his left hand, his, he had the same kind of textures of his fingers that John Lee Hooker had. Now, here's a story for you. I'm taking his hat off for a second. He's sweating me. That was for look. Here's for real. <laughs> I can feel the air. I played a, a thing with John Lee Hooker. It was the inauguration of Willie Brown in San Francisco down at the wharf. So I played with John Lee Hooker. And he's telling me this story. He said, boy, <laughs> I'm, trying to, I'm trying to affect his voice. I said, I said, Mr. Hooker, how did you start playing? He goes, boy, I was 14. I was out there in the country. My daddy said, boy, time to go to work. I said, what? Time to go to work. Laid him out the door, down the road. Points out to a cotton field. Everybody's there picking cotton. <laughs> and John looks at his father and goes, no thanks. And <laughs> walked to Chicago. It just kept walking. No thanks. That's the best. That's the best ever. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Yeah. I know. Yeah. We right here. But brother, you know, can't do it. But his hands were like babies. They're just soft. Now, watch the man. What's that? The vineyard up in uh, San Jose by San Jose. Used to be a big venue up there. Oh God. Oh. I can't think of his outdoor thing. And I watched him take an audience and he's playing and he's sitting in a chair. He's moving like that. He's talking. And you look at, I looked at the audience, they're moving like that. And he's talking real low, real calm. He hits an over on the guitar. And I was like, it was like a snake and a bird. I was like, look at this. It was magical. It was absolute, but it's, I'm back, back to his hands. His hands were soft like a baby's butt. You know how soft the baby is. You feel the baby is like, yeah, it's so good, you know. The Frank's hands were like that, you know, soft. But he could use the man. He showed me some exercises with my hand, and it was cool. But did he play with conventional tuning though? Yeah, as far as I know. Yeah, as far as I know, yeah, he did. You know, uh, I even approached Dweezil about uh, alternate tunings. He said he, he couldn't. He said he had. I have hard enough time doing this one, so it was cool. But I like to. Adventure out. I listened to Joni Mitchell. Yeah. I was listening to just different different people. And then I got into Robert, Robert Johnson. I 
I was listening. I'm like, that's what I'm doing. Have you seen the movie Old oh Brother? Yeah, sure. You know the black guy who plays the guitar? Mm-hmm. He, really, he really plays. And that tuning he had, I was like, I looked at it, and when he's playing, I went, oh, I see that. And it was perfect for that song. And I, that's when I realized that there was so much more, you know, to open the door. I, I couldn't, I'm, Western tuning bores me. It's too mechanical. It's too, uh, um, it's like arithmetic. It's like math. I don't want to do that. I want to play a melody. I want to play a melody with these shapes. I want to play, just play it. If well, could you do us a favor, pick up your guitar and, and tell us what this tuning is, or is it a secret? Uh, it's, it's for me to develop and and for other good friends like you. Okay, so we'll keep it on the down low then. I'll, 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 I'll turn you on to it, as long as you don't turn anybody else on to it before I leave. You, you'll, you'll understand when you see it, and I'll tell you where it came from. So you want to slap somebody. You're going to want to slap somebody because it's like, get out of here. Go away. Everybody knows this place I'm talking about, but they never use it because they've been told, no, no, we tune from here to there. You know what I, I want to hear about, Ray, is uh, moments of spontaneity on stage with Frank. There must have been situations that you didn't see <laughs> coming or you saw him coming and, and you, you couldn't stop it. What kind of stuff? Tell me about some hijinks. There's a train. There's a train. Okay, we were in Salem, New York. Salem, New York, you know, the witches and all that stuff. And we went out. I'm not sure if it's, is there water by Salem? It's got to be a, something. It was like Ma- Salem, Mass. Yeah. Massachusetts, yeah. Barrels on fire, jagged pieces of metal. Fire is like something out of a, a, a strange gothic dream, like a witch thing. And yeah. so we show up there and we're on stage and we're starting to vamp, you know, two, three, four. All of a sudden, my stomach went, bubble, bubble, bubble. I went, Frank, he went, go ahead. I'm going to guitar, ran to the porta potty. <sighs> okay. At least we started back to the stage. Oh, no, back to the porta potty. <laughs> They're still vamping on this one note. They're still vamping. They're still vamping. Finally, I get clear. I run up on stage, grab my guitar, and Frank goes, ladies and gentlemen, Ray White, the brown star. <laughs> it was diarrhea. Brown star. I was I wanted to laugh so much. But the second, the, the really cool one was we were in um I think Lyon, one of those places in France where they had the amphitheaters, old Roman amphitheaters. And there was a there was a, a statue of Caesar in the wall right above the stage. We've been there for thousands of thousands, two thousand years, whatever. And we were we were playing there. We were on the stage. And first at rehearsal. A certain person I know, <laughs> he had these foam shoes on. And so I said, when you go into that porta party, it's a bomb site. You know, the one pedestals and you pedal to get a squad. You know, and I'm telling you, when you pull the chain, you have done your business, you have your business done, your pants on. When you pull the chain, you got to step up. Well, this one floods above where you're standing. I started to get to, it fl- I know what I'm doing. I know what I've got. This. I know what I'm doing. I got it. So Frank and I are standing there. Yeah, look at that thing else. Flush. Damn it! <laughs> Spring. And he walks out and he's walking behind us and he's going, <laughs> water. I'm like, you know, you don't want to laugh so hard, your eyes are hurting. <laughs> okay, so that night before the show, I'm hanging out with Frank and he goes, backstage. He said, Come on backstage. I said, okay. We were backstage, but in his dressing room. And so I'm like, hey, he had this stuff called uh Noir. I gotta look it up. I hope I'm pronouncing it right. Cordon Noir. It was like cognac, but not. It was better than cognac. It was like the best single malt on earth. It was like, I don't know what it was, but by the time we got on stage, we were feeling no pain. <laughs> I swear it was a we were doing Tiny Lights, opening song. So I hit the mic, I'm ready to go. He walks up right in my ear and goes, Krieger Bandulu, white men come first to kill. <laughs> Krieger Bandulu, white men come first to kill. 
I started laughing. I'm like, because we've been talking about Tarzan movies in fact. We're talking about the old Tarzan movies, how they're like so totally disrespectful to anybody black. Right. <laughs> so we I go up again. He comes across, he says some more crazy stuff. I went, F it. I'm out of here. I just laid down on the floor with my guitar, still going to the lamp. He took the microphone and leans it down right above my mouth. And I sang the whole song from my back. <laughs> Crowd went crazy. We were having a good time. I didn't feel no pain, you know? But that's one thing I tried to tell these other guys in these other uh, Zappa incarnations. Incarnation, this is right. Uh, fun. Get have fun. If you don't have fun, no use to be in here. If you can't make a moment, somebody did something last night and somebody changed a lyric right in the middle of the song and everybody started busting up on stage. You know, it's, it's the inside thing, but it makes everything that much more enjoyable. If you make a mistake, go back and do it again, do it again and again. <laughs> Pretty soon you confuse all those little guys in the front row taking notes. Wait a minute, that doesn't go. But he did it three times, so it must fit. They'll go home in their mother's basement trying to figure that was a flat. You know, I don't know if people really put this all together, but I'm starting to realize what a person Frank was musically. He's not a snob. He's not a musical son. With everything that he has on the ball, in terms yeah. of orchestration and orchestral and, and classical and the rhythmic thing and everything that he's got going on, he still is bamboozled by love. <laughs> he's a man of, of the people in so yeah. many ways. The individualist yeah. who's doing whatever the fuck he wants. Anybody whose hero is Johnny Guitar Watson, you got to look at that. That difference in the economy there. It's like, yeah, it's like Varez and Johnny Guitar Watson. Yeah. Yeah. And, and the guy that wrote, uh, was it Slanimsky? The guy that wrote the. Uh, the and Slanimsky, yeah. He came to the uh, L.A. No, not the, uh, the guy that wrote the thesaurus, you know, the. Slanimsky, uh, yeah. He came, he's going up to Frank's house and playing, hanging out. He came to a concert and played it because I had the book and I'm like, Mother Course in Frappulation, Ultra Infrafrappulation. So I'm playing these chords going, this is, it was not crazy as much as it was a, a kid with a wild imagination. And to give it a name, give those things names, those movements. So it, he fit right in. And then to hear him really play without anybody playing with him, it was amazing, to say the least. You know? So you heard Slonimsky play solo piano? Yeah, he came to the last concert in LA that, that year. Uh, uh, we had um, Lisa Popiel, remember Pocket Popiel for Pocket Fisherman as her dad? And so she came to the audition with her boyfriend he was auditioning for drums and she starts noodling on the piano Frank went she got hired to boyfriend now you guys out there in radio land tv land whatever land you know what I'm talking about it was like one of those moments that happened it was a beautiful moment but I felt so you know so weird for him you know because he was a good guy you know what I'm saying but I had nothing to do with it. I had to stand on the wall over here and just go, wow, didn't see that one coming. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? But she was on stage in a negligee thing, and nobody knew she had a body like this. Hey, Lisa. Anyway, so she walks out on stage. And what's he comes on stage and starts playing too? And it's like, this is this is too cool. This is too cool, you know. What did you think of Frank's orchestral music, Ray? I loved it. I loved the fact that he had the orchestral stuff and, and, um, was it, um, oh God. And what was the song? Oh, for sure. Uh, okay, now for sure, for sure. Valley Girl. Both of them versus the top of the charts. One, the classical, and the other, was a totally ridiculous song about the beach, you know? And he was. Yeah, the range is remarkable. Here's one thing he said to us. I'm sitting there reading these books. Me and I used to read the airport. We have these books we read. And he goes, and I had no, I had this D, it's a D5, Sony, that Sony stereo, man, that sucker was killer. It's like $600. Those days, it's like $600. <clears throat> but I could roll like that, man. <laughs> anyway, so 
I'm sitting there and I've got um oh was uh what's it called oh god anyway it's the the song that they play on on uh if you watch the tv it goes elephants marching and they have that big opening and it's just all this orchestral classical music you mean like the bolero yes it's what it is bolero i couldn't think of it i got my headphones on my folding sony headphones remember those they folded man it's cool yeah right yeah you're cool you smell your money but he walks up and goes, Ray, what's cheaper? That? And then he holds up a pencil or this. <laughs> and I'm like, man, you just tore my whole thing down in one second with a pencil. But it was correct. It was correct. Take a pencil, write it out. You know, you don't have to spend $500 for this, $200 for that. A pencil, piece of paper. There it is. Amazing, you know? One of those moments is like running into, you run into a wall. You, you've seen this wall before in different situations in your life. As a kid, you, you're always doing that. You get older and you go, and I met this wall before, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, not paying attention. And he was correct. He's like, Well, Ray, you, you know, it's so great that Frank's music is alive and well in the hands of what constitutes many of the 88 band members and uh, a reunion of so many of Frank's favorite players. How is it for you coming back to this music now and singing it and playing in a band that's just really knocking it out of the ballpark in terms of Frank's legacy? It's, it's fun. You know, it, it took me a minute to get back into um, the music. Here's a, I had this, um, I'm not sure if it's a malady, but it's a strange uh, behavior that when I stop something, I forget it. If I stop playing with Frank, the, the day after I'm done on tour, music goes gone. And there's space for me to write. I can write. And I don't think about the music. You know? I've never listened to a whole album all the way through. I've, d- I've done it. Take it and take, you know? So I, I don't need to go back. I'm not I'm there to relive my glorious moments. It's like, great piece of work. Hear it once. Good. Put it in the archives. But I always wanted to do what I what I heard, and Frank encouraged it by by doing what he doing his music. It encourages you to find an avenue. You know what I'm saying? And if I, it, it encourages you to go, wait a minute. I don't think that's been explored. You start doing this thing in your head, and you're playing. You're not looking at something specific. You start playing, and it feels good to you. You know, and there it is. I've got sitting here. I got 120 albums. Unreleased. I write every hundred and it's about 124 now. Every day I write. Every day I write. Every day nonstop. Get the get a groove. Get it blocked. Come back later on. Break the block into the passages. Boom. I hear the vocal because the motion of the note. I hear the vocal. Plus the record here or there. Put a scratch vocal on with no words. Just mumbling whatever scatting when i hear it put it down double track it boom make a wave i'm done you know <laughs> but it's it's like drawing it's like being a painter the more you do it the more comfortable you are and i encourage kids to find your own avenue i listen to music now the commercial music every you could take one vocalist off and put another guy on same music background change the lyric same song well, where can people hear what, what you're doing now, Ray? Well, because um, you asked that. Um, the first thing I did was two years ago, I put out a little, I said, I got to get something in the market. So I put some songs together, I hit on there, and I just put them out. It's called A Wrinkle in the Plan. It's on, um, it's in Amazon, it's everywhere, you know, those streaming things. But I've had a lot of the older cats say they want CDs, so I've got to do that, you know. But it's just a, an eclectic book, bunch of songs that I put together. I just want to get break that cherry, if you will, of just get into the market. I don't care if it sells two records; doesn't matter. Put it out. But I've got weightier things, not weightier, but things that I want that that groove, that place. And so I just, you know, just right now, just biding my time. Every day I do it, and I got somebody that wants to produce some, not produce some stuff, but I got to take advantage of this offer I've had and 
it's one of those things where somebody that I didn't know him, was a friend of his, was a roadie, introduced me to him in New York. And he's a, he produced Harry Connick's last three, not last three, I'm not sure what three it was, was albums. And he's a cool guy. But I had taken that COVID shot. And after the tour, it's been a year. It was like this, energy, no energy. Energy, oh, no energy. And then I took the booster and it was like, no energy, no energy, no energy, no energy. Okay, energy. And I come in and it's like, no energy. Oh man, it was like whipping my butt, you know? Hmm. But it was important to get through the health part of it to get back to the music. Now, I didn't want to force anything. You know how it is when you force music and you, you listen to it and go, wow, that's whack. You know, I don't want to do that. So I'm looking for that opportunity to, to get some music out there a little different. And I don't care about my age. I'm not even worried about that. It's just about music. Yeah. And music doesn't get old. A groove is a groove. You find a groove, man, somebody in the pocket like you play in the pocket, that's the bomb. You know, you and Miniman are two of my favorite drummers on earth. You guys lay, you guys lay fat tracks, man. You 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 get into it. We get those open spaces where you where you start playing you. That's delicious, man. It's like a really good wine, you know. And I look forward to that kind of play. Just drummer, guitars, bass player, keyboards. Yeah. Easy. Have some fun. And no, you don't have to be heroes, solo heroes. Just movement heroes. Well, groove. that's true. You know, it's like listening and following the movement and following, you know, uh, the the interaction. Listening, yeah. listening is so important. When an audience sees that, there was a band, researchers, KDHW, Kimok, Vega, Kurtz, and White. That, that all we did was that. Go on stage, somebody would start a, a noodle. Okay. It would start going somewhere. Then it would change, go somewhere else. And I would put a lyric on it, right on the spot, just a lyric. And I'd have to ask people the next day, what did I do? What did I say? They're going, that was a cool song. What song? <laughs> you know, because it's in the moment. And it was like inspired by just that. You know, Kim is a superior guitarist. You got to hear this cat. Really cool. Bobby Vega playing bass. And Alvin Hurts on drums. And it was, it was a band for kids that think they got to have a big record deal. This band was born of trying to get one of their friends to Europe trying to get him to Europe to see his girlfriend. So we threw a big party at this in this apple orchard. This is big recording studio out there, up in Sebastopol, California. And all these people came. It was just crazy. And they were like, love the music. So next time we're going to play this other gig. It's called, is it the saloon? It's in Marin. Little tiny place. Each one of us just told one person that we're going to be there. We got there. There were lines around the block. We played. That's where the song was. It's like, what's it called? Uh, oh, Spring Water. So we're sitting upstairs. We need one more song. I said, give me a title. Bobby Vega was a bottle on the table. Spring Water. Let's go. Went through the wizard's window, climbed up the mighty stairs, asked the mystic oracle if she could make us more aware. Suspended deep in wonder, examined from all sides. She said, of all the treasures you may seek, you'll find the journey is the prize. <laughs> and people were like, the journey is the prize. Like, I don't know. It just, <laughs> it just came. But that's the fun of it. You're on the front line and you step off that edge and you know it's going to come. But you have to have confidence that everybody's in the same groove, you know? Well, I you're certainly you're in, in the groove, Ray White. And uh, it's always great to hang with you. And I'm so glad we had a chance to have dinner on the cruise. Oh, man, that was great. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm I don't remember stuck. the name of that wine. Oh, the wine. We that that was a nice wine we had there. Yeah. No, the food was good. I was impressed. I'm glad we had that that moment. Yeah. And uh and tell are you gonna be doing some gigs coming up with the Zappa band? We're going to on the twenty second, we're gonna be in you can edit this stuff out. I don't know too many people's business in the street, but uh we're going to um uh palm springs on the 22nd some kind of festival up there and then we're doing um the third i think it's third 
is in uh, San Diego, I think it is, and the fifth at the Whiskey, or is it the Whiskey on the third? <laughs> Duh, prepare, prepare yourself, wait, hold on a second. No, and then you guys are playing uh, the East Coast uh, in uh, June. Going like 11, go to the Zappa site, you know, Zappa band site, and you'll see it all. Good. That's gonna be fun. That's gonna be a lot of fun. And what do what you, are, are, where are you at situation back? You're back there on the, Porky Pig is back. <laughs> His lips are going, my brain is going 8,000 miles an hour and my lips can't keep up. And I've got some soup coolers here. These are soup coolers. Pot of hot water, some soup. It's cool. <laughs> but anyway, uh, you're on the East Coast, right? I am, yes. Yeah, come out, man. Well, I want to see you, man, and and I'll see you when when you're in New York, and people hey, look for the Zappa Band at the Sony Hall in New York. It'll be a blast. I can't wait. I can't wait. It's been fun, man. It's just like after the boat, you know, there are people that got sick, and you know, but that's one of those things that happen. And just keep pushing through, pushing through, pushing through, and. I appreciate your 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 guidance and stuff on the on the on the cruise because that was cool. You had it down pat, especially no, the, no. especially the moment when I was sitting there eating breakfast and you went. Phew. I was like, what? What, what the? <laughs> that was that was. Y'all should have been there. It was one of those moments like, what's happening? Am I still on Earth? <laughs> so it was so cool. I called my. I had wife. to have a word with Ray. At, at breakfast and it couldn't wait and of course ray was very gracious about me interrupting his eating there but it wasn't about that it's what you asked and that was like the funniest and the coolest thing that happened to me on that whole tour that oh was, man it was cool because people have done that before <laughs> is it me or did he just say that to me <laughs> yeah ray well look man i love you and love you uh, too buddy well my prayers are with her, and uh, I keep looking at this camera. Why am I? I don't know. We're getting we're getting all the the profiles. All the Ray profiles. White, you're the man, and yeah. everybody look for Ray on the road, and you got to hear one of the great singers of our time, Ray mm -hmm. White. And thank, thank you all for listening. Please like and subscribe. This is the podcast. I'm Greg Bendy, and that's Ray White. Bye bye. Bye bye. Chibet Diamond.